next set of cases was presented to Drs. Buzdar and Ravden, beginning with a case from Dr. Andrea Stiebel. This is a 38-year-old Caucasian female who had seen her physician this last December for her annual exam and had a normal exam. Of course, she wasn't getting mammograms at that time. She had no family history of breast cancer, but notice that four months later, she felt a lump in her right breast and went back to see her physician, who indeed did feel the lump in her breast and sent her for imaging. Now, this lady has very large breasts, so it's not something that you could see physically on her. When she lay down, she had felt something. She went for imaging, had a mammogram done, and showed an 8.6 by 5 centimeter tumor in the right breast that basically took up the whole lateral side of her right breast. Ultrasound, again, showed an irregular solid mass extending from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock with very, very large matted lymph nodes in the right axilla. So she went for biopsy of the breast mass and the axillary lymph nodes. Now, what was interesting was that When I looked at this biopsy, which showed a very high-grade tumor, which is found to be triple negative, you basically couldn't even see breast tissue in the pathology. It just looked like pure lymphovascular studding throughout the entire breast biopsy. As well on her mammogram, she had large casting-type calcifications throughout the entire breast. So she came to me for treatment options. Maybe we can turn to the faculty and see how you'd be thinking this through. Peter? Well, as I think about this case, she obviously isn't a good candidate for breast sparing, at least at first blush. And I'm also concerned that she's probably not a good candidate for neoadjuvant therapy. Although you might consider it, I'm not sure with the microcalcification spread throughout the breast that you are going to really want to ultimately be targeting her for breast sparing surgery. So you might give her neoadjuvant therapy in the hopes of getting better margins in the end, but I think that that would be the strategy in my mind rather than than the idea that you're going to be doing some limited, more limited breast procedure on her. So that would be the initial way I would look at this case. Amon? I think the best strategy which we didn't talk about is to use chemotherapy pre-upsetting. Because that way, at least, you know that it is in vivo sensitivity assay you are doing. Here is a lady who is triple negative. She has multiple matted nodes in the axilla. Yes, you can find a surgeon who can take this tumor off the chest and dissect the nodes, but still, I think, will be positive margins are cutting very close margins. I would think that these type of patients better served by doing pre-op chemotherapy because at MD Anderson, our approach is that we ask ourselves based on the clinical TNM staging, if that was the same pathological TNM staging, would you consider chemotherapy? If the answer is yes, we would rather do it in pre-op setting than do it in the post-op setting. That way you can see whether the tumor is responding or not. I think this is a perfect case because with the more than 8-centimeter tumor with multiple positive nodes, I would think that she should be treated with pre-op chemotherapy. And that way, even though she has a lot of microcalcification scattered around, still you will get much more cytoreduction in these type of patients, and you will have a clean margin at the time of surgery. And it will give you an idea whether she responds to therapy or not. What specific chemo do you think you'd use? Our approach in these type of patients is that we use four cycles of anthracycline-based therapies, and we use 12 weeks of weekly paclitaxel. 
What do you think about the NSABP neoadjuvant study, NSABP B40, that's looking at various forms of chemo plus or minus bevacizumab? I think that's a good research study. The pre-op setting, you can use individual patient information to make decisions on that individual patient. If, let's say, you start with the taxane, after four or eight cycles of therapy, the tumor continues to grow or it is not showing reduction, you're better off than switching her to the alternate therapy with anthracycline. Or if you start with anthracycline, then you can switch her to taxane-based therapy instead of blindly continuing the same chemotherapy without knowing what the treatment is doing to the patient. So can you talk about what happened? Yes. So basically, that's my approach. When I start someone, as I started her on neoadjuvant therapy, is I'll treat them through a few cycles, and then I'll re-image them, and of course, follow them clinically the entire way. I want to mention that I did do genetic testing on her because of her age and the aggressiveness of the tumor, and she was BRCA negative. So I opted to go ahead and treat her with the Pax-01 regimen, and I decided to give her that upfront. I gave her three cycles of FAC100, and after the first cycle, the tumor started to go away. After her third cycle, there was no clinical mass whatsoever, and I re-imaged her, and there was a complete response imaging-wise. There was no tumor seen on ultrasound. There were these casting calcifications still seen. So I chose to go ahead and finish up the taxatier portion of that regimen, and I gave her her three cycles of taxatier. Now, although she was BRCA negative, she wanted to have bilateral mastectomies. As much as I spoke with her about her options, she's young. She said, I never want to go through this again. I want both breasts taken off. And so then she went to surgery. And at which time she had a complete pathologic response. There was nothing in the breast whatsoever. She had 28 lymph nodes removed. Now, this whole issue about preoperative chemotherapy now, as we are starting to do it more frequently, and we are starting to see some of these responses, brings up a lot of questions for me managing these patients and when we discuss it at my hospital. One of the questions that came up was, ought the surgeon do a sentinel node biopsy at the time of surgery? Now, I'm fortunate that Mel Silverstein has now come to the hospital where I'm working, and I sent her to Mel. And I said, you have to explore her axilla. I don't think that in someone who had this much bulky disease up front, although she looks good on imaging, we ought to rely on a sentinel node biopsy, and I would be afraid of leaving something behind. So Mel was very kind and did a complete axillary Silverstein dissection for me. And she had 28 negative nodes. What about this issue of timing of sentinel node biopsy and sentinel node biopsy itself in this situation? Come on. I think our approach at MD Anderson is what we do is mammogram and ultrasound imaging of the breast and the lymph node bearing area. If the lymph nodes clinically are on imaging studies look suspicious, we do FNA because we have a very good fine needle aspiration people who can do that. I think that is one way to get the idea that if there are tumor cells in any lymph node, then you know that at least those nodes are positive. But if the nodes are negative, other surgeons will not do before 
systemic therapy, sentinel lymph node biopsy. I know on the West Coast, a lot of people and a lot of surgeons are geared towards doing this kind of quote-unquote, leaving the primary tumor in and doing the sentinel lymph node biopsy. I think it depends on the individual multidisciplinary approach. The best approach which we feel is that, yes, it will be important to know up front that nodes are positive or negative, whichever means you have the best capabilities. If you can do it by fine needle aspiration, by imaging studies, or if the only approach you have is to do sentinel lymph node biopsy, that is also a reasonable approach. But I totally agree that if a node is positive, before pre-op chemotherapy, then we will go and do level one, level two axillary dissection because the thing is, after pre-op chemotherapy, you just don't want to depend on if a patient had clinically or pathologically N1 disease, you want to see what is the extent of the residual disease in the nodes. So the thing is, like in this lady who had clinically N2 axilla, now she has pathologically N0 axilla. If you look at what is the probability of this lady remaining alive free of disease in the next 10 years, I would say it is over 90%. Any other questions, comments? My understanding was that sentinel node biopsy is very accurate after neoadjuvant therapy. After neoadjuvant therapy, our pathologist will do sentinel lymph node biopsy in those patients after we do pre-op chemotherapy. If clinically and all the imaging studies, axilla was negative, then they will do sentinel lymph node biopsies. If sentinel lymph node then shows, say, some tumor cells, then they will do level one, level two dissection. If that sentinel lymph nodes are negative, then they will not do it. That's how our approach is. Okay, now, given Dr. Stevel's case, okay, you have a lady, you had positive nodes, you treat her, she's had a CR. Would you then automatically do the axilla, or if she had negative sentinel lymph node coming back, would you then not do it? No, in those patients, as I said, that if we had one node which was initially pathologically positive, we would like to see nodal dissection done to see what happened to the lymph nodes because just sampling one or two nodes does not give you an accurate information. It may be, but I don't think currently we have the knowledge to say that. And I appreciate that. And that's where we were kind of stuck. And that's what we were arguing about in my group. And that's why I had spoken with Dr. Silverstein about it. And he agreed with this approach. I just could not see leaving this young woman with any question that there was any residual disease left behind. He did do level one, level two, and he actually did go up and take a level three note out. So I know that she clearly had no evidence of disease. So now my question was... With now no residual disease, what do we do about adjuvant radiation? This is a very important question. Actually, this is a question which is being at least now talked about in the RTOG group. The patients who have a dramatic response, pathological complete response, can we do lesser than what we had initially been doing for these patients who have a T3 disease? Current approach is that we would treat the patient with the radiation therapy to the chest wall and also to the peripheral lymphatics, but not to the axilla because now the axilla is sterilized. But the thing is that we don't know that whether these patients could be spared the radiation therapy. Currently, our approach is that we would radiate them, and that decision is based on initial pre-op TNM staging. So since initially she was T3 and 2, we would give her radiation therapy. 
even though she has a pathological complete remission. Other thing which is very important is that this is not exceptional case. A lot of patients when we do now pre-op chemotherapy because the therapies are getting better, the tumors do disappear. So what we do is that when we pathologists do initial biopsy, they put a marker in the center of the tumor so that if the tumor disappears that way, the surgeon knows what area to go and do that limited. If in this patient she had multiple areas of calcification, but if the tumor bed is just confined and you want to do breast preservation, the surgeons can go over and just excise in that area where there is marker. Did you give her radiation therapy or not? Well, to be perfectly honest, my gut feeling for this woman, and I said to her, you're done. I mean, we were in tears with her response, and she was in tears. And I said, I believe you're done. And then it was brought up in our tumor board, and I was so criticized for not Radiating this woman, not only did they recommend chest wall radiation, they recommended total nodal radiation as well. Based on the MD Anderson paper that came out about neoadjuvant therapy and complete responses and adjuvant radiation. So I contacted some of my favorite colleagues, such as Abram Reck and Joyce O'Shaughnessy, and a few other people out there and asked them their opinion about it. And I believe, as you said, I really believe this is an evolution. I think that's why it's important to look at these women. As you said, it's not exceptional any longer. We're seeing more of this and trying to define which women can really avoid radiation or not is so important. I am having her get radiated. She did talk to a group who believed just doing chest wall radiation was going to be adequate for her and leave the draining nodes alone. And that's what she's having done. But I truly don't know that she needs it. So I think just for the completeness sake, I think currently the standard approach is that if a patient initially had locally advanced disease, even though they achieve pathological complete remission, they should receive radiation therapy, even though patient might have elected to have mastectomy, because the risk of recurrence, even in our small series, was substantial if the radiation therapy was not included. No, it's interesting, too, that the tumor board kind of made you rethink the case. Well, you know, they're very aggressive, and but then it kind of made me take a step back and say, well, I don't want to not do what's going to be good for her, although I had pulled up literature that showed that in some of these cases that there really wasn't a benefit. And I believe in the MD Anderson paper that there was a difference between T1, T2 lesions as compared to T3 lesions preoperatively. All the patients had complete responses. And, you know, it was Joyce that told me about that paper so I did not want to leave it undone for her. And we talked about it back. She really did not want to have radiation. And we talked about it back and forth. But in 2008, that's what we're doing. Aman, we were talking this morning about your work in neoadjuvant therapy and the HER2 positive situation where you took the bold step of incorporating an anthracycline along with trastuzumab. Can you update us on that approach and where things are heading in that regard? Well, that approach is alive and well. Actually, it is now being tested in a large prospective trial in the American College of Surgical Cooperative Oncology Group. It is a ECOSOG protocol, which is Z1041, in which the one arm is exactly the MD Anderson chemotherapy trastuzumab concurrently for 24 weeks, and in the other arm, the patients get FEC in the same dose schedule, first 12 weeks without trastuzumab, and then the trastuzumab is introduced during the taxane phase, and the total duration in both arms is 52 weeks. So that study is ongoing, and our own experience, 
even outside the context of clinical trial before the ECASOG study opened, that we had treated quite a few additional patients. And the results are very reproducible. And also the cardiac safety looks very encouraging, that we did not see any significant cardiac dysfunction when we used epirubicin only 75 milligram per meter square just for four cycles. Other thing is that now there is another large data, which was the NOAA trial, which was carried out by Italian group in Milan, in which they also gave with doxorubicin, but only with three cycles of doxorubicin concurrent trastuzumab are not concurrent trastuzumab. And they also showed that pathological complete remission rate in their study went from 20 to 40 percent. And there was no significant increase in cardiac dysfunction in spite of concurrent administration of this trastuzumab and anthracycline. So I think even though all the Dennis Lehman and all those people make a lot of noise, I think appropriate attenuated doses of these drugs for a limited period of time, I think offer more benefit to more patients than we are doing a disservice by not offering these type of therapies to the patient. Any other comments? I just want to say that the benefit of neoadjuvant chemotherapy is you see the chemosensitivity of the tumor, and she clearly is chemosensitive, and that actually argues even more for radiation sensitivity. So if she's already... I would expect her to respond even more to radiation since she responded to chemotherapy and hopefully improve the odds even more. So that's why I think in complete responses at the moment we would even more argue strongly for radiation therapy. Yeah, I think adequate local therapy plays a very pivotal role in the long term. That occasionally we have patients who would say that, oh, my tumor disappeared, and they'd even decline to have mastectomy or local therapy of anything. And I can tell you from a small number of patients, patients, even though clinically and imaging study, they look like they're a clinically complete remission, without adequate local therapy, the cancer can come back locally in a number of patients.